The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to the crowds, This is how it is with the kingdom of God. It is as if a man were to scatter seed on the land, and would sleep and rise night and day, and through it all the seed would sprout and grow, he knows not how. Of its own accord the land yields fruit, first the blade, then the ear, and the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, he wields the sickle at once, for the harvest has come. He said, To what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, that, when it is sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. But once it is sown, it springs up and becomes the largest of plants, and puts forth large branches, so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to understand it. Without parables, he did not speak to them. But to his own disciples, he explained everything in private. The Gospel of the Lord. Yesterday, Mother Church celebrated the feast of the solemnity, rather, of the most sacred heart of Jesus. It's a feast that celebrates and commemorates the heart of our Savior, the fact that God has claimed for himself our own human flesh, that he has become one of us, so as we might become one with him, as St. Athanasius would say. It's a devotion to the sacred heart that is not only confined to a single day, but as Mother Church often will take a particular devotion for, that takes place within a calendar month, uh, we'll often make it a, a month of. So June is the month of the Sacred Heart, an entire month encouraging the faithful to be able to learn about the devotion to the most sacred heart of our Savior, to be able to practice it, to be able to celebrate it in a particular way in the liturgical life of the Church. It's an important thing for us to contemplate these devotional aspects of our faith. They are indeed many. The reality is that in the life of the church, there's the public form and there's the private form. The public form, of course, is, is much more ritualized and much more um, kind of communal and, and um, really kind of very inclusive in a large sense. It's the fact that when we come to the liturgy that so many things are, are simply given to us. We just say them or we listen to them and make a response of what's on the text in front of us. And most of us, because we, if we come frequently enough, we learn those texts rather quickly uh, so that, you know, if, if I were to say in normal conversation some uh, phrase such as the Lord be with you, it's not uncommon that people would automatically respond without even hesitating and also with you, right? With your spirit, right? These kinds of things where they just kind of naturally come forth from us without us even having to think about it. This is the kind of general thing where all of the faithful are invited to come and to be able to come and to worship our Lord in a common manner. But of course, we recognize that there are things where we would like a more personal communion with our Lord, a more, a more personal attitude of faith, something that speaks to us more intimately within our own heart, not just in a general way for the faithful, but something that speaks to me. And this is where Mother Church beautifully encourages us to be able to speak of our devotions. 
those little things in the life of the church where something resonates with us about a particular aspect or some small thing speaks to our hearts and calls out to us to dig deeply there. One of those devotions is, of course, that of the Sacred Heart. It's a highly indulgent one and a greatly encouraged one, one that allows us to have a more intimate and personal relationship with our Lord and to draw intimately close to Him. Certainly, we recognize that from the beginning, there was a, a devotion to the heart of the Savior because it was that heart that was pierced for love for us. It was that heart that poured forth blood and water at his crucifixion. It is that heart that it became the wellspring of the sacraments, the wellspring of salvation, as the church was often referred to the heart of our Savior. It is right for us to celebrate the heart of, of, the heart of Christ. It is right for us to venerate it, to honor it. Strikingly, even in our contemporary times, when Eucharistic miracles have taken place, when they have done the scientific testing, as often as the case, to verify the, the truth of the fact that the, the, a Eucharistic miracle is actually changed, not just in, transubstantiated, not just changed in the substance, the invisible thing that makes a thing what it is on the altar, that makes bread become the flesh of Christ, but it's also transformed, the form of it changes. It looks differently. And those times when the Eucharistic miracles have taken place and scientific evidence has been done, tests have been done to see what exactly is this. Is this real? Is this true? Because, of course, we don't want to just, you know, celebrate fake miracles. We want to make sure that they are real, that they are actual things that God has done. How frequently, almost universally, those who find these test results are that the Eucharist, the Eucharistic miracles... They are living flesh from a human heart. The Eucharist is the heart of our Savior. It is right for us to worship, to adore, to celebrate. Mother Church also encourages us in the particular devotions to the Sacred Heart. Our Lord Himself, of course, desires this. Throughout the history of the Church, liturgical life grows and changes over time. But there are several saints who are kind of uh, particularly important in celebrating the devotions to the Sacred Heart. St. Margaret Mary, of course, being the recipient of the promises of our Lord, the promises that he made to those who are devout in honoring his Sacred Heart. Also St. John Eudes, about the same time in the 1600s, coming to be able to speak and to, to take up the mantle of what St. Margaret Mary had received and to be able to encourage Mother Church to have not just a, a generalized devotion, but a particular liturgical feast, such as we celebrated just yesterday. These and many other saints encourage us in this devotion to our Savior, this personal drawing close to Him. I wanted to reflect with you and to share with you the promises our Lord gave to St. Margaret Mary, in case you have never heard them, and in case you have heard them, it is always good to hear them again, to be reminded of what it is that Christ offers to us. To this religious sister, a humble sister in France in the 17th century, he appeared in a variety of visitations, appropriately to a visitation sister. He made himself manifest, 
appearing to her in the midst of her prayer. And he offered a number of things as assurances, promises that he made to her that she would honor his sacred heart and as others would do the same. The first, he said, I will give them all the graces necessary in their state of life. For us to be able to do the thing which Christ has created us to do in this life, he assures us that he will grant us every necessary grace. Secondly, I will establish peace in their homes. How frequently it is that those that we love the best are those that we are found that we can be most easily wounded by because they know us best. How easily peace can be stolen from the home by the evil one, by our own sins. And it's the heart of Christ that desires to restore that peace to our homes, just as he restored it to the heart of his apostles after his resurrection. Thirdly, I will comfort them in their afflictions. Who among us, when bearing the cross, doesn't desire some consolation, doesn't desire a closeness to Christ? And this our Lord promises to us. Fourth, he says, I will be their secure refuge in life and above all in death. During the course of our life, the Sacred Heart is, as it were, the place where we find refuge. The saints of the church describe the heart of our Savior as the place wherein the the dove can hide in the cleft of the rock so that we can hide in the wound of our Savior's heart and there find refuge from the world. We can be sheltered from the storms of this life. Again, part of the reason we find peace, not only during our earthly life, but especially at the hour of our death. It has often been the case, accounted in many of the lives of the saints, that the wicked one comes, the evil one comes, prowling like the roaring lion that he is, seeking to steal us away from God, particularly at the last moment. The evil one loves to come at the hour of death. Because if we have given our Lord our entire life, but he can steal us at the last moment, he wins, and he knows it. It's the evil one who comes and seeks to sow within the heart of the one who is dying fear about eternal life, fear of judgment, a doubt whether all of this is true, whether God really forgave, whether God is really that merciful, whether there's really a heaven, whether there's anything at all. And the evil one can easily sow these doubts within the mind, within the heart, to seek to pull one away from the grace of Christ. But our Lord's sacred heart, he promises that he will be there to be a secure refuge, a place of protection. Fifthly, he says, I will bestow abundant blessings on all their undertakings. It doesn't mean that everything we do will magically turn to gold, as if it's a, some sort of magic trinket, this devotion to the sacred heart. But it is a reality that if we are close to our Lord's heart, they will necessarily be more close to his will. And therefore, the things that we do will be more in accordance with the will of God. It will conform us more closely to his will simply by proximity to him. And thus, our undertakings will experience blessing. Sixth, he tells her, Sinners shall find in my heart the source and infinite ocean of mercy. The devotion to the the divine mercy that has prospered so frequently and so, so beautifully over the last hundred years 
as is the center of the image, the, the blood and water pouring forth from the heart of our Savior. It is the heart that is the font of mercy, the ocean of mercy, the font of grace. And so we can find in the heart of Jesus a tremendous outpouring of his mercy, a reminder to us that, that he is, we are never too far from him to be, receiving, to be unable to receive his mercy. Seventh, he encourages us and reminds us that tepid souls shall become fervent. If we fear that we have lost a bit of the fire within our hearts, if we have lost our first love, as the Lord would speak to the people of the church, I think in Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, if we feel like we desire something more, that our heart doesn't burn with the passion of Jesus Christ like we would desire, turn to the heart of Jesus that burns with love for us. And allow your own heart to be caught on fire by proximity to him. As a wood tossed in the fire catches fire the same. Eighth, fervent souls shall quickly mount to the height of perfection. If everyone laments the fact of having to go to confession because I confess the same thing over and again, which is typically the lot of any of us who are sinners, if we lament these things, devotion to the heart of our Savior is an encouragement that will allow us to, by the grace of God, leave behind our sins, whether grand or small, and to seek after Christ more deeply. It will make us perfect more quickly. The ninth promise of our Lord, I will bless every place where a picture of my heart shall be exposed and honored. This, of course, being part of the, the devotion of the enthronement of the sacred heart, a laudable practice, a praiseworthy practice of allowing our Lord to take a primary place in one's home. How edifying it is for me whenever I go into a home and find there and the, over the mantle of the fireplace or on the main wall of the home or in the, the place of prayer for the family, the image of the sacred heart of our Savior, because I know that all will be well there. This is his promise. There's a proper, a proper ceremony that can be done to prepare for your home to be enthroned, to enthrone the sacred heart of our Savior in one's home, as our Lord is a is indicating here is simply to be able to say that, Lord, you reign in this place. You run this house. We are listening to you and to your will. A wonderful blessing to entrust one's home to the heart of our Savior. Tenth, I will give to priests the gift of touching the most hardened hearts. If you have loved ones who have fallen away from the faith, who never had the faith to begin with, perhaps. It is the priests of the church who are given the promise here. And what a tremendous blessing for oneself to have such a devotion to the sacred heart of our Lord that grace is poured out through that devotion will be given to a particular priest for your loved ones, that they might come to know Christ, that they might be touched by the words of a priest, by the sacramental grace pouring forth from him, or even just the accidental grace of some seeming chance, actual providence, meeting. Grace is given to the priests of the church to become more and more like Christ, to be able to share his grace. Eleventh, those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart, never to be blotted out. The heart of our Savior is the book of life, and to have our names inscribed there is the greatest of consolations, is the certainty of knowing that we will not be lost, 
that Christ has us firmly in his grip. We are written in his heart. What a source of consolation and encouragement this is to be for us. And lastly, he says, I promise you in the excessive mercy of my heart that my all-powerful love will grant to all those who receive Holy Communion on the first Friday for nine consecutive months the grace of final repentance. They shall not die in my disgrace, nor without receiving the sacraments. My divine heart shall be their safe refuge in that last moment. This, of course, is the encouragement for, as our Lord shows us clearly, the first Friday devotion in the church. To come on the first Friday of each month for nine consecutive months and to receive Holy Communion, again, not a magic trick not a magic ticket, simply to be able to say, I did it, now I can do as I please. But again, rather, it's the recognition that when we come to our Lord, when we come and have devotion to Him, when we foster within ourselves a closeness to Christ, it changes us. And no matter what, our Lord will keep us close. Just as we have the same promises given to us through the hands of Our Lady, and the powerful prayers of the rosary and scapular, so also the devotion to the sacred heart gives us a tremendous confidence. And the reason it gives us this confidence, because it's the devotion of the focus itself. It calls us to love, to love that heart that has first loved us, to draw close to that burning heart that burns with love for us, with a passionate love for us, a fierce love for us, if you go, I think, uh, I think Sacred Heart has a rather fierce image of our Lord. I know if, you, if, if anyone's ever been to the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, the National Basilica in Washington, D.C., there's a rather fierce-looking image of our blessed Lord. He looks scary, in fact. I've had a number of the, the high school kids, when we go for the March for Life trip, they walk in and they go, ooh. <laughs> it kind of turns one off initially, because initially one might walk in and think, Ooh, Jesus is really upset at me. But what we always remind those who are going there to that blessed church is to remind them that Jesus is not angry at you. He's angry at the one who is prowling, trying to steal you from his grasp. Jesus is angry at the evil one. He loves you. And the fierceness that you see in his eyes is the manifestation of his love, the sign of his love for you. Our Lord is not lukewarm. He is passion. He is fire. And that fire is for the salvation of souls, your souls and mine both, in a tremendous way to draw close to him, to allow that to be accomplished more perfectly and more easily, is devotion to the sacred heart, to come to our Savior, to draw close to him, to find refuge in him, is to know that we will have peace in this life, even amidst all the storms. And we will rejoice to have that eternal peace promised us on the day of our baptism, eternal life with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.